all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Good morning, and thanks for listening. I am Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is, relatively speaking, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So everyone who's listening to the show probably knows someone in their social circle or family who's been diagnosed with breast cancer. But did you know what to do or how to help, what to say? Many of us are often so unsure of what to do or say that we do and say nothing. But we know research has shown that women with strong social supports have better survival rates. I'm delighted today to have on the show with me two amazing women who are breast cancer survivors. They'll help us better understand what we can do and say to be the support that we all need when facing such a difficult diagnosis. But let me tell you why this is so incredibly important. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women in the United States, except for skin cancers. About 30% of all cancers in women happens to be breast cancer. And that's all the new female cancers that are diagnosed within a year. The average risk of a, women, of, of a woman in the United States developing breast cancer sometime in her life is about 13%. It's really high. That means that about one in eight of us will develop breast cancer. And it mainly occurs in middle-aged and older women. The median age for breast cancer diagnosis is 62. 62, okay. That means half of women who develop breast cancer 62 years of age or younger when they're diagnosed. A very small percentage of women are diagnosed with breast cancer when they're younger than 45, okay? So so many, many mothers um, of teenagers, of college students, many grandmothers are diagnosed with breast cancer. So think about all the many people whose lives are being affected. Breast cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death also in women. Only lung cancer kills more women each year. All right. So serious problem, something that we know is occurring regularly all around us. 
Now, good news is breast cancer death rates have been decreasing steadily since 1989. And there's been an overall decline of about 43% through 2020. But the death rate has um, the has not been slowing quite as much as it had after 2020 for whatever reason we're not quite sure why that it's it slowed um, slightly what we do know is there are about four million breast cancer survivors in the u.s that includes women who are still being treated and those have completed treatment okay So I've given you a lot of statistics, you know, in this show, I always like to throw some of that data out there, but we're not going to talk as much about research right now, other than the fact that we know having a strong support system is important. Okay, so now I want to move to our two guests. Once again, I want to say how wonderful it is for me to have both of you ladies on this show today. I want to introduce you listeners to two very special ladies in my life who both happen to live in Plano, Texas right now, uh, but both have roots in Mississippi. Um, my sister, Cindy Mansour, and my very good friend for over 50 years, Debbie Livingston. <laughs> so good morning, Debbie and Cindy. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Thank it's so good to have you. And and I know you, you both aren't used to being on the radio, but I want you to just talk to me a little bit about what's gone on in your life. Uh, Cindy, will you tell tell us a little bit about yourself um, when you were diagnosed and 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 who you are and where you are now? <laughs> Thank you, Susan. I'm so proud to be on your show, and it's such a privilege. Uh, Thank you. I am um, a proud mother of two children married uh, to a wonderful man for 34 years, and I am 63, (laughs) a very young 63. (laughs) You're a lawyer. (laughs) Um, by by profession, right? And uh, a very busy woman. But I think something that I I was pretty uniquely terrible about Cindy's diagnosis is that you were diagnosed at a young age, weren't you? How old were I was, you? I was thirty six. Right. So was 27 years ago. I'm happy to say I'm a breast cancer survivor for 27 years. And it's easy for me to remember the number of years because my diagnosis took place during my pregnancy of my uh, youngest child, Abe Jr. And at the time, I had a three-year-old beautiful little girl, Miriam who is now 30, and my son, Abe Jr., is now 27. So I always know during the month of October for his birthday on October 14th um, exactly how many years um, I've been a survivor, and I'm 
so thankful and so blessed by that. So very it's, grateful. It's, yeah. And that was that was pretty devastating. We we are from a large family and and you can imagine uh, the the fright that everyone had and and the sadness and dismay that our actually little sister was um, had been delivered this diagnosis. So Cindy, um, I, I know that we have a lot to talk about over the next uh, hour, and we'll come back to that. But I want to get to Debbie just for a minute. Um, Debbie Livingston, thank you so much for being with us. Um, my my friend since, very close friend since college, and, and we continue to do little vacations together, don't we, sometimes? We do, and we have a wonderful time always, we so do. I treasure those times, and I treasure this time with you and Cindy as well, because I think this is such an important topic, because I think everyone has been affected by this, and so it's it's more than just the patient, if you will, but um, I am 72 years old, and I am a retired accountant, but I um, have a very busy life. I'm like Cindy. I'm very active and I work mostly, I volunteer with the homeless and those who are food insecure in our community. And I have a 32-year-old son, Tucker, who is an engineer with Microsoft. And uh, my husband, of 44 years, recently passed away two years ago. So I'm kind of on my own right now. <laughs> but um, yeah. I was 52 when I was diagnosed, came out of the blue, as I'm sure Cindy felt the same way. But I know we'll get into some of the other aspects of it um, later on in the broadcast. But I do want to emphasize that I don't think that mine at the point that it was diagnosed would have been without all the scans from those early mammograms. And the comparison was what really keyed off the radiologist. And so in that way, my breast surgeon said it was a miracle that she really detected it. Yeah. So certainly there's been a lot of awareness uh, this month. Hopefully we'll continue to do that about the the need for that preventative care, that mammogram, um, and making sure that you don't let yourself skip. I know during COVID there were a lot of individuals who, who skipped the regular mammograms, and I hope. People are scurrying to catch up. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we are talking, unrelatively speaking, about breast cancer. But I know you've heard a lot about breast cancer awareness and and what we should all as women be doing and what those of you who are not women around should be recommending for your loved ones as far as doing all the preventative care. What we're talking about today really is how we can be the support system that women who are struggling with this diagnosis or going through treatment 
need from us and what we can say and do that's appropriate. I think so many times, and I know this does not just pertain to the diagnosis of breast cancer, but when anyone has a difficult diagnosis and you know it, it is likely fairly devastating to that individual, many times we don't know what to say and sometimes we stumble and say incorrect things. So... Um, I want to go back today. We have um, two wonderful women who are with us, my sister, Cindy Mansour, and my close friend, Debbie Livingston, both who who are breast cancer survivors and both who have given so much back to the community. And we are very lucky they're still with us. Um, Cindy, I want to start with you, if you will. Um, you were diagnosed at 36. You were pregnant with uh, a son you very much wanted. Uh, talk, talk to us about how that diagnosis happened. How did you discover it, number one? And, and then can you talk, I know, and I, I hate to make you relive what was probably a nightmare at the time, but can you talk to us a little bit about um, what went through your mind and, and what you felt like you needed initially? You, Susan, I... First of all, I had an incredible support system. Um, and as Susan was saying, that's so critical. But my diagnosis, um, I, because I was 36 and pregnant, I wasn't having mammograms at that time. Um, but I was very in touch with my body, which I really highly recommend that to everyone to really have you know, know your body. And I was in my third trimester of my pregnancy. So I was very much in touch with the changes that were going on. And um, I woke up during the night. And at this point, I was uh, seeing my OBGYN every week um, because of the nature of my pregnancy. It was a little more high risk. And um, woke up during the night and actually felt a small change in my breast um, that something that I'd never felt before, a, a little hard dime shape, about the size of a dime. And I felt that small little circular area. And um, so I had this appointment coming up with my OBGYN and I, I said, I'm sure this is nothing, but I did notice a small change. And Dr. Joseph, who wonderful OBGYN said, Cindy, you know, I feel like you know your body really well. I'd like to have you, I'd like to have my colleague take a look. Um, Dr. Sally Knox is a breast surgeon and was my breast surgeon at the time. And um, she's now retired, but still very active um, in breast cancer. Um, and she asked me to walk on over. She wasn't even seeing patients. 
um, took a look and I could see in her face, she saw mm. something a little mm-hmm. different. Right. And right. the next day I had a surgical biopsy, Susan, and that diagnosed it and, you know, started the process. What went through your mind? You know, I, I was so focused on having um, a healthy baby but that was my biggest concern is that um, we could deliver this little baby boy and everything would be great for him. But, you know, of course, there was some anxiety that popped up. And um, I am one that is a really good listener. And I wanted to hear what the what my doctors thought was best. They had an amazing protocol already in place. And I tried to look at it like this is, you know, this is my job to go through these steps Mm. and just move quickly with these steps. Um, You know, I had been in this kind of euphoric time in my life, you know, expecting to just have this precious baby in the next few weeks. So I had to change my mindset and just say that, you know, we're going to move forward. But again, I had incredible support from my sisters and brothers and my mom and dad and, and all of my friends. And of course my husband who was right there every step of the way, but it, you know, it was, it was tough, a, right? A scary yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, very scary. Okay, I'm I'm going to come back because I have some follow up questions. But but let's hear from Debbie. Okay, before we go to you, Debbie, I just Cindy, I just have to say, waking up in the middle of the night and and um, just suddenly realizing that something um, was different uh, sounds like a God thing almost. And, and I know you're, you're a strong believer, but, but that, I think that tells us, and, and I've said this on radio many times, we need, if we have a message that's coming into our brain for whatever, from whoever it is, listen, if there's something telling you that something might not be right, don't push it away. Listen to it. Right. Yes, that's so true. Thank you, Susan. Okay, Debbie, talk to us a little bit about how your your situation, I know, was a little bit different. You had had previous mammograms. Was it one of those back and forth that so many women have where it's like, oh, that's an area, but then it's okay, and then it might not be, or or was this just a total surprise? No, I can't really say. I mean, it's always a surprise, but um, I had been having annual mammograms at the same location um, in Plano uh, since the age of 40. And as I got closer to the age of 50, I had extremely dense breasts, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. a lot has come out. A lot of women hear that, right? Yeah. And it it makes the... uh, observing those changes a little more difficult, but um, I had had to go back several times to be, you know, followed up and uh, they had to take another look and, and all that and they all came out fine. So on this particular one, 
um, the radiologist um, noticed almost it was almost back to the chest wall Mm -hmm. so it was extremely difficult to really look at but she noticed that it was different Mm -hmm. than all the other ones before and so uh, like Cindy they scheduled fairly quickly um, that stereotactic biopsy and um I was just really stunned when mm-hmm. I got the news because you never expect it, but it's almost like an out of body experience when somebody says, well, it's come back that yes, you do have cancer. Right. And I mean, I can remember the exact place I was, um, you know, my feelings and again, like Cindy, I had a 13 year old son and that as a mother, that is your first, you don't think about yourself, you think about your children. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that's such a wonderful impetus to, to get you going and get you organized, and we're going to take care of this. And like, uh, Cindy, I had a wonderful support group. My husband was very supportive. I had you and Cindy (laughs) as well. And, um, other friends and I cannot say enough about how critical it is to have that support group so that all you have to focus on is getting better and getting through it. Right. And I think for you, Debbie, one thing that I want to emphasize is that you kept going back, you kept having those regular mammograms. And when they said, oh, this is a suspicious place, and then never mind, it really is okay, that you went back again at the the regular interval and full disclosure here i'm one of those people um who who keeps going back and back and there are suspicious places dense breasts etc but to not brush it off and and just get weary of it but to continue to be vigilant and do what we need to do to take care of ourselves right Absolutely. I think that is the most important thing is um, early detection. And um, because mine was detected so early, it made my whole treatment program totally different than Cindy's. And um, so I can't stress that enough. And I also had a wonderful team of doctors as well. The team I can't say enough about. And um, actually, my doctor, Dr. David Hampy, um, was married to a nurse from Holly Springs, Mississippi. So (laughs) that was his nurse. So we had quite a lot to talk about um, in Mississippi. Another Mississippi connection. Those are always fun. So, uh, again, I think two different situations, both terrifying. Um, I know, Cindy, your little guy, my godson, had to be delivered early, a little early, and he did very well. And he is a brilliant, wonderful young man now. So so that that's all great. Thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And today we're talking about what kind of support you should give family members, loved ones, friends out there who have been diagnosed with 
breast cancer. And we are lucky to have Cindy and Debbie here with us today who are talking through this with us. Both of them are long-term breast cancer survivors. Both of them give back amazingly to their communities. And so they're going to talk to us now a, a little bit about maybe what you really need and what you really don't need someone to say or do when you're in the throes of a breast cancer diagnosis and perhaps going through treatment. So, Debbie, I'm going to put you on the spot first this time. Um, were, Were there any things that as you were stepping through the diagnosis that that someone did or said that you felt like, ah, come on, that was not so appropriate? Or or on the other side, can you name a few helpful things that, that happened that you felt like made a big difference? Yes. Well, luckily, um, mine was actually, most people were very positive and supportive. And um, I think one of the things for me, and every personality is different and every situation is different, but for me, I'm a very private person, and um, I remember uh, I'm also a woman of great faith, and I remember contacting my priest upon hearing of of this, and um, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Episcopalian, but I, I was fortunate enough to have a really good friend who is an Episcopal priest, and and he said, well, now, listen, you need to, you're going to need people around you. You have got to open up. And he said, I will remember this to this day. And it's why I'm sure Cindy feels the same way. He said, if you allow these people to come in and help you, which you're going to need to do, they are going to get as much of a blessing from helping you as you will get from receiving it. Wow. And I have always remembered that and anyone that I know of who is diagnosed as a survivor, I try to step in and just give them simple tips that maybe the doctors don't always think to give you silly things like um, when you come home from the hospital, if you've had a mastectomy, get a bunch of pillows, new pillows, because you're not going to be able to get up out of that bed by yourself. So you need to be, kind of um, uh, in a position to be able to help yourself as much as you can. And also, um, so I would advise people to let people help you Mm -hmm. and those who are your support group. Sometimes people wanted to talk too much to me about the cancer Mm -hmm. and I wanted people to talk to me about what was going on like with the kids what they were doing and something different I don't know how you know everyone's different but I wanted to have that contact with the outside world thinking of something other than cancer okay Um, good advice right so just talk to me about day-to-day stuff Well, day-to-day stuff, um, I was very fortunate. Like I said, I had a 13-year-old who was very busy and into a lot of different things. And my friends literally took, they knew my desk calendar and where it was in my house. And they literally took that calendar and whatever he had on it, 
they made sure he was taken care of and got to where he needed to go. That is something I think takes so much stress off of the person who's going through all this to know their children are taken care of. And also they got up what what we called the meal train uh-huh. and they divvied it up who was going to bring dinner for the whole six, first six weeks after wow. I came home, which was just fabulous. And um, so I would suggest that as well. And if one of them can volunteer, if your spouse is not able to go with you or uh, if you're divorced or whatever, if one of them could could volunteer to accompany you to all your appointments to be your second set of ears because Mm -hmm. they give you so much information that you're just drowning in it in your mind you're so so focused on wanting to get better and get past this so it's just i think it's would be great if someone could volunteer to be that person i think that's great advice and i i think that and and often i will have a, a family member um Ask me if I don't reach out to be that added ear, you know, not necessarily because I'm a physician, but but also because just to have that second ear, because when you are going through a difficult diagnosis, sometimes you can't completely digest everything because that anxiety mounts up and it gets in the way of really concentrating on what someone's saying. Cindy, I know you probably have some words to add to that. I see you nodding. So tell us what your thoughts are on what Debbie had to say and maybe if you want to add to it. Oh my gosh, I completely agree with everything Debbie was saying. You sometimes have this natural thought that I can handle this on my own, you know, or just with the few immediate people around you. And and I was actually on maternity leave from my practice. And I remember thinking, oh, my I'm taking a normal maternity leave. I can stay very private about this. Mm. But but really, the and, you know, I wanted to be strong, but the strength for me really came from all these incredible bonds and support. And I just highly recommend exactly what Debbie was saying and Susan, that the support system is so critical and it builds your strength as you're going through each of these steps. Um, as Dr. Susan Butcher said, sorry, Susan, I'm calling you Susan. Um, as Dr. Butcher said. That's what you're supposed to call me. (laughs) Always have a second set of ears with you for all the appointments, if you can. And, um, also uh, there's so many steps along the way that, I remember there were friends and my sisters and brothers that just showed up. They didn't ask. They just showed up. Um, Susan showed up to check on Abe Jr. Uh, So in addition to having my local pediatrician there in the hospital, 
I had my personal pediatrician making sure that he <laughs> looked great, along with my brother, John, who's also a physician. And they just showed up. I had no idea. And, um, and you just, I'll never forget for Thanksgiving, two of my sisters just showed up at my door. I mean, from out of town with Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I had no idea they were coming um, because a lot of times when you're going through these situations, you don't want to ask. And you, right. and, you know, you'll have somebody say, what can I do? And you have no idea what to tell them. <laughs> right. And so I'm yeah, glad you brought life. that up because that is something that that I have read and I felt myself when something was going on that was difficult in my life. The what can I do, um, even though I, it is so well intended, is is not a good question. I think I do know that there are times uh, the meal train idea is wonderful. I do know that it's always good to even ask about that, because I know sometimes people can get overwhelmed with that um, and have more food and then not know what to do with it. So to say, I want to bring a meal, what day would be good? Or we've organized, our neighborhood has organized this meal train. Is that okay? Or to call and say, hey, Cindy, I... I want to be the runner for you. I'm going to the grocery store. Please send me a list. Not say, can I get you anything? But say, send me your list. Make it more definitive so that that there is not, and y'all tell me if I'm right or wrong, but in my mind, it seems that it would be much easier on your brain that is already a bit stressed to have someone make a decision for you, make a statement. So I'm going to the grocery store. I need your list. Right? That's Does exactly. That... Yes, Susan. The ladies perfect. in my neighborhood did that very thing. And even, you know, uh, ask which nights, as you and Debbie were saying, would be best to have a meal and planned you know, just a beautiful meal on the nights that were, you know, where you really needed that extra helping hand. You you don't want to ask, but when someone just volunteers, it's it's an amazing blessing. It really is. And I I also remember I was um, encountering um, as so many women do that are going through uh, treatment, the need to have a um, some a wig, especially if you're going back to work, and and I was encountering that myself. And one of my sisters just came to town to go with me on that trip to help pick it out. My oldest sister, and so. You, you remember those things and, and you never forget them. I mean, it's such a huge, it's such a huge help and such a blessing. And that brings strength through the process that you never mm -hmm. thought you had, you know, and it's, 
it's from all those bonds and I have to ask you a question, Cindy. I think I remember this. It was so many years ago, but but you said something that I hope our listeners um, heard and want to know the answer. You said, oh, I'm already on maternity leave. I'll just pretend that I'm just on maternity leave and not tell my, my work friends or associates that I'm going through this. Did you work through that? Were you able to finally come come clean and be honest? Oh, now, of course, my media um, group all knew, but, mm. you know, it's those, um, the extended team that you're working with out in the field, and, and of course, they all knew later. They did, um, but... You know, and you find out, um, as you were saying, that you you get much more support that way. But I just remember initially thinking, oh, I can get through this with, mm. you know, That's without so worrying. Like I didn't want to worry anybody, <laughs> you know. <laughs> worrying but, about yeah. other people. But, you know, now I, I see Debbie nodding. I, <laughs> I do think that women in general go through that themselves that they start oh gosh this diagnosis that i have is going to really be hard on my mother be really hard on my husband or my my children and and so they try to keep some of the emotion within because they don't want to stress anybody else out I will say that that's not good for you, that it's really good to be able to lean on someone. Before we continue, though, on that realm, there there are a couple of other questions that I want to ask both of you, because I, I think this might be good for women who are stepping through this. So... When when the diagnosis happened, do you have any advice about how you went about talking to your your son, Debbie? I know he was older and and also to your husband. I don't know if he was with you at the time the diagnosis was imparted or not. But talk to us a little bit about what advice you have to other women um, who were who who might be in your situation when you have to talk to your child and your spouse about this? Uh, actually, I received my diagnosis over the phone, and I was all by myself. Oh and, my uh, So that was kind of a frightening thing. So I immediately um, called my husband, who immediately said, "I'll be home in twenty minutes." Right, as and, soon as um, I can get there. Then yeah. I, cons- I consulted, and I would say I was fortunate enough to have a behavioral pediatrician as a really close friend in my church, Dr. Paul Warren. Um, and I called uh, Paul and explained the situation, and I said, how do I tell him? You know, mm-hmm. And he said, well, I hate to tell you, but it, it, it's dependent on the age group. And he said right. he's 13 years old. Right. So he said he is going to be more concerned about how his daily life is going to change at that age. <laughs> He'll be worried about you 
But he's thinking in his mind, well, what's going to happen to me now? What's going to happen to my schedule? And he was totally spot on about that. So I would suggest um, if you can avail yourself to your pediatrician or if you're fortunate enough to have a Dr. Susan Buttress in your life, (laughs) you can... um, consult with uh, them, they may be able, because it's going to be different from every age group, and they each have a different perspective on it. And he was spot on, because my son came through it very well, um, I think, because I did assure him that, hey, your life is just, you know, we've got it covered, kid. It's just, you know, you just do your thing. And that's another reason to to get it, get the life covered. That's another reason that those outside supports are so yeah. very important. Everybody doesn't have grandparents who can jump in. So mm-hmm. so neighbors, church members, um, good Samaritans, whoever they are, <laughs> you know, people to step in and say, I'll be the driver to, <laughs> you know, practices or choir or dance or whatever it is so to to make sure that somebody's um there because he yeah uh dr warren is such a great guy and you're absolutely right that he that he was spot on that teenagers preteens are going to be worrying about life changes <laughs> whereas toddlers are going to be a little different Cindy had a toddler Cindy talked to us a little bit about that did you did you try to talk to Miriam about why mommy was in bed or mommy was sick or how did you do that she was as I always say, beyond her years, even though she was just three at the time, she was like this little, wanted to be this little junior mom to Abe Jr. And I tried to just tell her in the most simple terms that she would be seeing some changes in mommy, but that was because I'm getting, I'm taking some medication to get better. Uh, mine was a very aggressive um, uh, form, and so I knew that I would be starting chemo right away, right after having a junior um, within a, a week, really, after delivering. And so I did explain to her that she'll start to see a few changes, um, and I talked to her about the physical change with the hair because I knew that would probably be the biggest part for her. Sure. And so I also um, got her um, a little doll that had, you know, hair that she could style so that she could do that along with me when I would be styling my, my wig. And we did some little things like that. She was a little older when I had a later issue um six years later she was old enough to understand quite a bit more and so at that age um she was you know about nine ten and abe jr was seven i could explain it a little bit better to um to both of them and i even allowed her she wanted to help me with things like 
the drains from, you know, from the surgeries and things like that. And it made her feel a part of things. Yeah. I think that that you prepared her is so very important. And I think so many times um, parents think they take a protective stance and they don't realize that if there's not that preparation, there may be such shock that it may turn into almost anger from the child for not not understanding and not knowing. So to say mommy's going to be taking some medicine that may may make my hair fall out. It may make me feel a little bit sick. But the whole point of all of this is that I'm going to be better and well soon. And, you know, do you how honest do you have to be? I know somebody's probably wondering that. Do you do you have to tell a child in the moment I I could die? No, you really don't. What you need to say is I'm sick and I'm working very hard to get well. And, and I am going to do everything I can to get well, because I guarantee you, if things move along in a negative, negative manner, children will know. And I think the time might be appropriate if someone truly is at their the end of their life for, from something like breast cancer, the time there is an appropriate time to talk about not being there. But during the throes of the the treatment and the initial diagnosis, even when you're feeling the worst, uh, there's no need to say, well, I really could die from this because I, I think that the seriousness of the disease is already known. Uh, I think children are way more perceptive than most of us realize. But the the preparation that I'm not going to feel well, and here's the other thing, and I tell people this all the time, even if it is about a migraine or um, a joint pain, if you are hurting and it's making you feel bad and frown and grumpy, it's really better to say it out loud, to let somebody know that mom, mom's not feeling well. And so I'm sorry, I'm grumpy. It's not about you. So that you get everything on the even ground instead of silently suffering, which I know women again try to do, right? You're right. And and some of those moments, especially when you have younger children, is when, you know, we'd recommend those support systems are so amazing if they just step in. We had the dearest, dearest couple friends and some of our neighbors in Plano that would just show up when they knew you know, it was time for another treatment and take the children, you know, to the park. Right. Or, you know, I had a friend that knew that everything had moved really fast for us and and finished putting the nursery together, you know. Right, right. And, and Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know we only have a, a few minutes, and uh, before we go, I do, I know Debbie and Cindy, you both probably have uh, 
some suggestions of websites or support groups. Would would y'all, Debbie, do you have any specifics you would like to tell everybody about? I do. Um, Susan G. Komen is a fabulous website and also the American Cancer Society. I think everybody needs to be kind of discriminating in which websites you look at because some have some information that to me is a little sketchy. So, right. <laughs> you know, and you don't want to alarm yourself even more. Right. Uh, so you want to get the straight scoop. And I think both of those, and particularly, um, I don't know if Susan G. Komen still has it, but they had like a, um, like a back and forth and a blog type thing that you might be able to uh, obtain Access. some specific information about your situation right i believe they do yes Uh, yeah thank you Uh, cindy any other thoughts i completely agree with those two and then how how positive it was um to even participate in the susan g Komen race you know that became that became an annual event for our whole little family beginning at a really young age and but the websites for both of those two are outstanding i also have a special bond with bridge breast network which is a local charity in North Texas, but it was founded by my breast surgeon and some breast cancer survivors. And they always have some wonderful information on their website too. And it's a, it's, you know, they, it's always on Bridge Care Network. Okay. We can put that. Network. So we will put, we'll put both of those on our podcast so that um, everyone can access it. So just in summary, I want to say a couple of things. Thank you to both of you. Uh, We are so grateful that you both are still with us and giving back as you both do. And this was great advice for women and and for all of you women and men out there who may be struggling right now with this. Uh, know, Know that you can get through it, but allow your support structure to build and and lean on it. So thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Debbie, so much. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and funded is provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners like you. If you'd like to hear the show again or any other podcast episodes, you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app by searching Southern Remedy Relatively Speaking. This show is a production of MPB Think Radio, engineered by Abram Nanny, my producer. And I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.